I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Hilo. We are the pop culture and news podcast that brings you stories, discussions, anecdotes, debates, arguments sometimes. No, we don't have arguments, do we? From brows high and low. The Hilo is presented by me, Dolly Alderton, and me, Pandora Sykes. And that's the intro done. <laughs> that's why you always do it. <laughs> what have you been up to this week, Dolly? Oh, I went to the theatre last week and saw a play that I really think you should go see called Gloria at the Hampstead Theatre. I haven't heard of that. It's so up your street. It's it's really funny. Um, it's about... It's set in modern day and it's set in a kind of New Yorker magazine office in New York and it explores life working at one of those magazines and it's about kind of nature of story and experience and how kind of competitive writers are with each other and writers ego and entitlement to story and what is what anecdote belongs to what person and it's kind of invigorating it's very thrilling you'd love it and so they've nothing just... like our experiences of life and work <laughs> um they've just extended the run actually till the 29th of july so you should brilliant how did you hear of that my friend Ed took me, um, nice. and he's just got impeccable taste, so I didn't even Google what it was. And as I sat down and the lights went out, he said, do you know what this is about? <laughs> he said, it will be right up your street. And it was. That sounds brilliant. Um, I've been listening to Sue Perkins' Desert Island Discs. Have you given it a whirl? You just listened to every Desert Island Discs. It, was on, like it saying, was on this Sunday. I went to the loo and wiped my bum for you. Oh, it always goes back to bums with you, doesn't it? Because <laughs> I know how much you hate them. Um, oh, no, I'll check that one out. I do love Sue Perkins. It was this Sunday. Is it's that not Sue me- from Sue and Mel? Mel and Sue? It's Mel and Sue, yes. What, am I not allowed to say it the other way around? No, I don't think so. What, as in you, you literally can't? Well, Lauren and I have had many arguments about this when we come to writing scripts and it says by Lauren Benstead and Dolly Alderton because I uphold that it should be alphabetical. So I think I should go first. But then she said, look at something like Rogers and Hammerstein and R went before the H. Which do we go? Who goes first on ours? Well, you very generously, actually, I've noticed in our, because you set up our Twitter account, in the bio, you said hosted by Dolly Alderton and Pandora Sykes. And because Lauren and I had such a bloodthirsty argument about it, I thought, God, that's very generous of you, Pandora, to do that. <laughs> Accidentally generous, that's me. <laughs> um, yeah, Sue Perkins does it, I've listened to it twice, I think you'll really love it. It had me in tears. <laughs> what? Just that you've listened to it twice. I'll tell Just... you why I listened to it twice, if you really want to know, it leads me on to point three. What's point three? I had a hangover on Sunday that was so bad. When I think about it now, I well up with tears. What were you doing on Saturday? Putting up my bed. You got drunk doing that? Yes. Really drunk? India came round and um, I said, would you like to help me put up my bed? And she ended up just doing the whole thing. And um, I just roared through some cremant. 
But weirdly, I didn't feel that drunk. And then I woke up on Sunday and it was the worst hangover I've ever, ever had to the point where I was like shivering on the bathroom floor with a oh, cold on. flannel you on my head. You thought you had a sick bug? No, it wasn't a sick bug because I woke up on Monday completely normal. So that has to be a hangover. <laughs> Getting this mesh on Sunday evening, Pandra, I'm not going to be able to do that thing that um, I was going to do on a Monday morning because honestly, I've got this sick bug. And I go, I was are you sure you're not hungover? And she's bug. going, no, 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 I'm definitely not hungover. I vomited 12 times that day. And then I had to go to Gifford Circus. Oh, Nell Strouds? Yeah. Which was amazing, but I it was in Chiswick, Where was that? Chiswick House. My God, look at you, theatre, circus. I know, I'm putting me to shame. Metropolitan lady these you days. You are. Um, and my lovely friend Max got us tickets, and I was just like on the bathroom floor, shaking with a cold flannel on my head, being like, I just don't know how I'm going to get there. And I was like, I've got to go because I love Gifford Circus. It's the most amazing day out, and it's always the most so beautiful jealous. show. Why didn't you invite me? Because Max organised it. All these lovely men Max. in my life that just organised these tickets for me. He and then, invited me. And then I got into the Uber and I was like, lay down in the back of the Uber, took the cold flannel in with me and was like shaking. And the Uber driver must have just thought, this privileged bitch who drank too much Prosecco last night. Which was entirely true. Yeah, fine. But at the time I did think I had food poisoning. And then I got there and I was sick again in Chiswick Gardens with just families walking past me with Labradors. Then I finally went in, and weirdly, the circus healed me. So that's why I listened to Sue Perkins' Desert Island Disc twice, because I couldn't really digest it the first time. Because you were too busy undigesting your stomach. Exactly. So, how have you been? I have been good. I've been doing lots of reading and watching and listening, so I spent a lot of time, um, you know, Mostly on my own, really. I went to see Baby Driver. Oh, what did you think of it? I thought it was great. I absolutely loved Ansel Elgort, the boy in the main role. Oh, I thought the love story between him and Lily James was really sweet and mm. very kind of... It was a bit like watching um, uh, La La Land. It's almost kind of a pastiche. Yes, yes. Tol- her of like pouring, the diner waitress. Yeah, her yeah. pouring the coffee and she doesn't have a parent and um, they can just run away together and how good is her southern accent as well she's just they're both gorgeous in it and when you see them in black and white you think my god this could have been an Ava Gardner Cary Grant both of them could have totally passed that but it was beautifully done I'm not really one for a car chase um (laughs) but it's but no with this like what I'm not one for a car chase either I just know exactly what you mean by that um yeah no I thought it was really really good and I went to see it at the electric cinema in cinema I will say that wrong, on Portobello. And that really is just the nicest experience because they have these giant armchairs. I know, it's And the best. you can drink wine and the pick-a-mix is superlative. It's the best pick-a-mix <laughs> you can get anywhere. And then I watched Gypsy, which is a new series on Netflix. Oh, I thought um, you were talking about the old musical. No, it stars Naomi Watts and Billy right. Crudup. Crudup? Right. Crudup? Crudup? Do you know who he is? No doubt we'll get those tweets. No. Um, Naomi Watts and Billy Crudup. He... Um, all I know is he's an actor who once had an affair with Claire Danes whilst married to another actress called Mary Louise. That's all I know about him. Right. Anyway, he's in this, and it's directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. And, oh, cool. Um, I watched the whole of it, but it's not, it's not very good. It's basically about this therapist who gets obsessed with her patients and... Um, Oh, I would love that. Well, try it. I want you to try it and see yeah. what you think. Because it was it sounds very up my street as well. And she becomes obsessed with the people that they have issues with. Right. But the problem that I had is that it was 
and not in a self-aware way like baby driver it was the most cliched thing i'd ever seen like Naomi what so you've got like women on the verge of some sort of breakdown in her mid 40s really really skinny deliberately seen only ever eating a greek salad with dressing on the side or picking at her food drinking a lot suddenly discovers she loves tequila whenever she's having a particularly dark moment just goes into her walk-in wardrobe and fingers a packet of half smoked cigarettes <laughs> because that somehow kind of encapsulates all her rebellious past yeah yeah um lives in connecticut has her secret double life in the city um somehow we never really know where the money comes from and even though both her and her husband work they're somehow both at home in Connecticut having a shower at 6 p.m like just all of it is so um I don't know lazy yeah it's really trite it's really trite I actually read this really lacerating review that said that you know throughout the Sam Taylor Johnson and E.L. James feud everyone had been very on the side of Sam Taylor Johnson assuming Mm. that the reason why Fifty Shades of Grey was crap was because of E.L. James. Mm. And this review I read suggested that maybe, actually, Sam Taylor-Johnson is the dud when it comes to like beautiful erotic thrillers because Gypsy yeah. sort of tries to be that. And Naomi Watts is an amazing actress, I, I think. I've never mm. seen her in anything and I haven't thought she's amazing. And this just falls flat. Really? Mm. Still watch all ten episodes. It's so funny, isn't it? I'm still trying to work out when you're dismantling a programme and trying to work out whether it's really, really good or really, really bad whether it's the direction, the writing or the acting. Possibly bits of both. Yeah. All all three. I've obviously still been watching Love Island. I am incredibly hooked on it and was thrilled to hear this morning that Jeremy Corbyn is backing Marcel. This is unsubstantiated. No, 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 it's not. Jess Phillips, the MP, said on the news this morning that um, there's loads of them in the House of Commons watching it. She knows more Tory MPs watching it than any other party and that Jeremy Corbyn is backing Marcel. So up yours, Dolly That's so funny. I know. I've told you it's properly taken over the world. You're missing... Which you've never done before. You're really missing the zeitgeist on this one, Donnie. <laughs> um, I've been reading Me Talk Pretty One Day by David Sedaris, the diarist and journalist. Oh, were these um, his private diaries? No, no. This is an old one. I've just only started reading his stuff. I don't know why it's taken me so long to read any yeah, of it. And I've bought all of them. No, these are short stories about his childhood um, and they're brilliant, very readable. I'll lend it to you afterwards. And then I read a great article this morning which I tweeted on the Hilo and my Twitter, I think, as well, in the New York Times um, called The Golden Age of Bailing, all about how... um, I know that too well. Yeah, so, and it's actually something that really incenses me and that I am in complicit in mm. um so that was a really great what was funny the what article. was the what did they analyze what did they what was the source of it um it what it, it wasn't a particular source it was just an op-ed and he was and he was saying that it was um a kind of collusion of um you know sort of declining social morals and escalating technological advances and changing it's written in that really wonderful kind of elevated new york times slightly wanky writing style that i love (laughs) cosmo landersman it's a particular bugbear for him he gets really angry about it and he actually didn't text me back for a while because he was so annoyed that i'd cancelled on him quite rightly and then about a month later i saw this piece that he'd written for spectators that was very good about why he hates flakes and why you've got to cut them out of your life and i was like oh i think that's probably yeah i want to write me i want to write something on it actually because i am really interested about um about it because it's completely unacceptable definitely i've been raised by someone who just does not let us ever ever bow out of anything Mm. that sense of loyalty is dogged to the core in my mother 
Um, so I do actually bail sometimes, but only because we live in this very permissive society where everyone else around me is bailing. I know. So I think, oh, once in a while I'm going to do it. But, but in general, I'm very against it. I think as well, the reason why it incenses Cosmo and his generation so much is that we have this very loose, easy, breezy idea of kind of, of what a relationship is because you're always on WhatsApp to each other or you're always seeing each other's lives through social media. So I think in your head, you think that counts as a meet-up when it doesn't. I do not. <laughs> anyway, it's a great read, so check it out on Twitter or just on your own fair Google. Um, we had a really interesting email in relation to a question we read out about... Um, was it last week's episode that we read out? Or was it the one before? Week before. I think so. The week before, we read out a question from a girl who had found out that a friend of hers had had a baby and given it up for adoption and hadn't told any of them about it but was clearly not dealing with it that well. And this girl wrote into us to say, should I tell her I know and that I'm here for her and I don't judge her? Or do I continue kind of letting her lash out and be sort of very distracted? and emotional and and just be here without telling her I know anything. And um, we had quite a lot of extensive talk about that and then we got this really interesting email. Dolly, do you want to read it out? Hello, Dolly and Pandora. First of all, it goes without saying, I love the show and I love the way both of you write. I'm writing to you both in response to the email you read out at the end of your last show. For a split second, I genuinely thought one of my friends had written in about me until I realised the timescale was all wrong. I had a baby when I was 18. I'm now 28 and gave the baby away for adoption. I chose to give the baby away and I'm still happy that I did. The reason I'm writing though is because I too reacted by getting very drunk, verbally abusing not only strangers but also my friends and I also had an incredibly difficult time with my mother. I think it is to be expected, although I did not expect it, that such a huge life event will have some sort of fallout and adjustment. I wanted to say in relation to the previous letter that I desperately did not want to be pregnant and I did not want anyone to know. Everyone found out, of course. In my case, a friend I'd told in confidence blurted it out to everyone in a pub. Although I was angry with this friend, it lasted mere days because what I actually found was that as much as I didn't want anyone to know, the support, love and care of my friends was and still is what got me and gets me through. I hesitate to offer advice because I have no idea whether the situation is similar or very different to mine. But I genuinely found my friends to be incredible, despite wishing I could have kept the whole thing to myself. I'm happy to be put in touch with the writer of the email and all the subject. I'm not an expert, but maybe now I'm 10 years on from the situation experience could help. I also find that the majority of online material is geared towards people who wish to adopt rather than those who gave away their children. Keep up the good work. Anonymous fan. Well, we'll definitely ask the writer of the initial email if she wants to speak to our anonymous fan. And can I just say again that I'm taken aback by the stories of the women and sometimes men who listen to this podcast and write into us. Believe it or not, every letter, no matter how seemingly unusual or obscure, gets other email responses to us in droves. And I never knew that co-hosting this podcast could be so interesting and revelatory about other women. And also create that kind of community and that kind of solidarity. And I think it just goes to show that we're never as alone as we think we are in our experience. So we really appreciate all those emails that we get. And it's just really special that people are spending, you know, this was a long email. We had to abridge that email. Mm. But it's just really special that other people, 
you know they don't get they don't get anything out of it um mm. and i think it just shows that there is still we worry a lot about the sort of dissolution of society and empathy and friendship and everything like that and i think this shows that there is still that absolute humanity mm. when you hear of a story that either you are familiar with or that really kind of rocks you um mm. and you just want to help so thank you you can always email us at the show at gmail.com <laughs> Support for the Hilo comes from our sponsor, Nars. This week, I'm going to extol the virtues of the multiple. This is an iconic Nars creation dreamed up by the eponymous Francoise Nars. The multiple is the original multi-purpose stick for eyes, cheeks, lips and body. Its unique creamy formula and sheer colour blends effortlessly to create shimmering accents, contours or dynamic highlights on all skin tones. Apply with fingers, the skin's warmth allows for perfect blending. So I use the multiple every day in orgasm, which I only realised today is probably not a coincidence that it makes for a multiple orgasm. And I would say that the results are almost dissatisfying. Orgasm is... (laughs) (laughs) Orgasm is my favourite blusher shade in a rose pink with gold flecks. Panda loves it too. I use the powder when I want a kind of stronger look in the evening or in photographs, but when it comes to kind of everyday use, I like using the multiple on my cheeks as a blusher because it's a lighter texture and more sheer and kind of shimmery, so it works really well for a kind of dewy, natural look. And I also love swiping it over my lips as well. It's super easy to use and great for having in your handbag. It comes in 13 shades and it's £29. NARS is offering Hilo listeners two deluxe travel-sized freebies when they make a purchase online. Simply type in the code HILO, spelt H-I-L-O-W, at the checkout and you'll receive a mini audacious mascara and mini velvet matte lip pencil in Dolce Vita, one of their best-selling pinky nude shade. Thank you very much to NARS. It's now time for the top line. This is where uh, one of us reads out ten pieces of news from the week in a... Breezy, succinct, spicy fashion. Stick the tunes on, DJ CJ. MP for Newton Abbott in Devon, Anne-Marie Morris, has been suspended for using the N-word in a debate about Brexit. She described leaving the EU without a deal as the real N in the woodpile. Morris has since apologised for the totally unintentional remark. Peers are calling for her firing. And quite honestly, the best piece of news I've read in months and something we care passionately about, women and girls from low-income households in parts of Aberdeen are to be offered free sanitary products in a pilot project by the Scottish Government to tackle period poverty, whereby young women are forced to use newspaper as they cannot afford tampons or towels and therefore truant from schools in embarrassment. Let us hope it travels down the UK imminently. Barcelona striker Lionel Messi is set to be the richest football player in the world with a new four-year contract that sees him paid €1 million a week. That is more than Cristiano Ronaldo, though Ronaldo's overall earnings are more due to endorsements. 
Vice President Mike Pence has criticised the UK for its actions over terminally ill baby Charlie Gard. The heartbreaking story of 11-month-old Charlie Gard in England is a story of single-payer healthcare, says Pence. It's back in court today. Frankly, we breathe a prayer and hope that the single-payer system in England will see its way clear to allow the family to be able to choose the greatest extent of life-saving treatment that's available to their child. 35 people have died in the past year from measles outbreaks across Europe, the World Health Organization has warned. It described the deaths, which can be prevented with vaccination, as an unacceptable tragedy. A six-year-old boy in Italy was the latest to die from the infection. Researchers at UC Berkeley believe that smelling food before eating it could cause weight gain. In an article in medical journal Cell Metabolism, published last week, They write that the body's sense of smell seems tied to its decision to store fat instead of burn it off. Their study was conducted on mice, but the researchers believe correlation would also be effective on humans. Brent Council have announced a £10 million fund to install sprinklers, smoke and fire alarms in the borough's 37 tower blocks. Gangnam Style is no longer the most-watched YouTube video. The song has now been overtaken by Wiz Khalifa and Charlie Puth's See You Again. The ballad has been streamed 2,895,375,709 times, which, if you add it up, means that it has been streamed for a total of (laughs) 21,759 years. If one person was to listen to each of those streams consecutively, they'd have to have started during the glacial peak of the last... Ice Age, says the BBC. That's such a BBC report. (laughs) Spanish airline Iberia has said it will stop requiring female job candidates to take a pregnancy test after it was fined €25,000 for the practice. They said they'd only been trying to guarantee that pregnant women did not face any risks. Matthew Taylor, the chief executive of the Royal Society for the Encouragement of Arts, Manufacture and Commerce, has described the UK's flexible labour market, known as the gig economy, or zero-hour contractors, for e.g. Uber and Deliveroo drivers, as one of the economy's biggest strengths, and said a blanket ban on zero hours would create cliff edges for employers and workers. Workers, which Mr Taylor recommends should now be reclassified as dependent contractors, will be entitled to benefits such as holiday pay, if the results of his nine-month review are put into action. That's the top line. You know, the one that really pissed me off is Mike Pence on... um, our healthcare system Mm. because I feel like I mean there's been so much about Charlie Gard I'm sure our listeners can't have missed the endless um, kind of battle that his poor parents have Um, and I understand all sides of it I understand that the NHS feel like they have come to the end of the road in the treatment I understand that Charlie Gard's parents want to do everything they can to save their boy Mm. Um, but the fact but the way that Mike Pence is using Charlie Gard as like a PR exercise and seriously suggesting that the US has a better healthcare system than the NHS. Like, they're busy dismantling Obamacare and it costs about £4,000 if you even break a limb in the US. Like, people literally cannot afford Mm. to break a wrist. I can't quite believe that he's using Charlie Gard and this tragic tale as a PR move to denounce the single-payer healthcare system. It's fucking mindless. But... Good news. It's great to hear that about Aberdeen and period poverty. I know. It is great news. Speaking of periods, just this weekend, another girl died in Nepal when she was bitten by a snake in a menstrual hut. Menstrual huts are an ancient tradition whereby girls are banished to huts 
until quite literally they have finished bearing out their periods and they've long been banned incidentally. We've been speaking to Action Aid, who are taking their innovative period campaign to Latitude Festival after the charity revealed that a third of women in the UK found that leaking while they had their period is their biggest menstrual fear. Action Aid has a tent at Latitude with tons of activity with a period busting theme from being able to literally ride the crimson wave <laughs> to getting a 360 degree experience of what it is like to use a toilet in Rwanda. It's all created to highlight the uncomfortable situations that women around the world have to deal with while they have their periods. At festivals, sure, but also that for some women over the world, menstruation is always taboo and awkward. And this is happening in countless cultures and societies across the world. So if you're at Latitude, go and be emancipated and grown up, whether you're a man or a woman, and go meet the Action Aid team. You can also donate to Action Aid to help women and girls access clean and safe sanitary products, improve toilet facilities and build safe rooms. www.actionaid.org.uk forward slash donate forward slash sanitary hyphen towels hyphen women hyphen humanitarian hyphen crisis. I'm aware that's a very long one so we will also put that on our Twitter and we'll put it in the bio description for this week's episode. Speaking of periods or pezzes as me and my friends sometimes like to call them. Did you read Eva Wiseman's column in The Observer this Sunday? Yes, I did read it. About period shame. Yes. About how women kind of walk around their whole lives with yes. this constant Yes, fear. sorry, I was trying to re-familiarise myself. And what I liked, she was like, I'm not one of those people that fucking loves periods. Yeah. She was like, I'm never going to enter a room and be like, let's talk about it. But actually, she was like, isn't it fucking horrendous that half the population look at a white sofa when they get up and everyone's tied a sweater around their waist. It's really, yeah. yeah, and she just said it's a kind of filthiness and a kind of shaming and embarrassment that maybe men quite don't quite understand or maybe they don't know that we have that kind of ongoing paranoia and fear. So it was really good of her, I think, to flag it up and talk about it so fluently. Support for this week's episode of The Hilo comes from Sainsbury's Home. Sainsbury's Home prides itself on delivering great quality design-led products at very reasonable prices. This summer, Sainsbury's Home has launched a sumptuous collection of home accessories, bedding and tableware in metallic colours and rich textures, inspired by traditional Moroccan designs and print. I love a Moroccan textile. I've actually considered getting an EasyJet flight to Marrakesh simply to stock up on home furnishings. I like your use of the singular there, a Moroccan textile. Well, look, (laughs) Dolly, you don't have to do that anymore because you can just go online or visit one of 400 Sainsbury's that stocks the Sainsbury's Home homeware. If you're a millennial, with a love of luxurious velvet and touches of golden marble, aka Dolly Hannah Alderton, this will be right up your street. You could be in with a chance of winning a bundle of prizes from the range. Each week after the Hilo goes live, a Moroccan Lux. Do we call it Lux or Lux, Pandora? <laughs> I could go with Lux. Lux. Moroccan Lux image will be posted on the at Sainsbury's Homes Instagram account, allowing you to enter up to four times. Just follow at Sainsbury's Home, like the Moroccan Lux photo that mentions the Hilo, and leave a comment tagging a friend who you think would also like to enter the competition. The competition ends on the 28th of July. And while I'm getting unbelievably stressed in my new flat, sorting out council tax and going on two-hour treasure hunts for the boiler, why are they always put in really weird places? Um, I'm drawing on the Sainsbury's Home ethos, which is that it's the little things that make a house a home. Thank you very much to Sainsbury's Home. 
It is now time for our second ever author special, where we lure a talent into the studio. Some of you may remember Rennie Edo Lodge, who was our first ever author special last month, and we are now joined by the award-winning and frankly brilliant journalist Elizabeth Day, whose new book The Party is out this week. Elizabeth has written for The Guardian, The Telegraph, The Sunday Times, Elle Vogue, lots of other foreign Elle's Vogue's, Harper's, you name it, she's written for it. The Party is her fourth book. Am I right in saying fourth book? (laughs) And it's about a rather pitiable protagonist named Martin. Elizabeth, I'm going to let you intro your book because I bet you've got tons of other people telling telling the world what it's about. So why don't you tell us what it's about in your words? Thank you so much for having me, first of all. I'm very delighted to be lured to this podcast because <laughs> I'm a huge fan. Um, and I have to get better at elevator pitches um, when I describe my book. But basically, The Party is about a man who becomes dangerously obsessed with his male best friend. And uh, the man is called Martin. He sees himself as something of an outsider. He is raised by a slightly weird single mother and then at the age of 13 wins a scholarship to a a minor public school and at this boarding school fixates on the most popular, charming, aristocratic, wealthy boy in his year. And that boy is called Ben Fitzmaurice and Martin inveigles his way into Ben's life and his family life. And the story sort of proceeds from that. And there are all these unspoken tensions between Ben and Martin. And they all come to a head on the night of Ben's 40th birthday party, which is why it's called The Party. Um, So the book opens with a police interview and Martin's being interviewed about something that happened at the party. And then the rest of the story is told in flashback. It was very influenced by the Tantum Mr Ripley. And um, I love that film actually primarily it's one of my favorite films and after I'd written the party I went back and read the original book which is also brilliant but I didn't want to be unduly influenced by Highsmith (laughs) um, which is why I did it in that order so uh, that's the party that's it Amazing. I haven't actually read the book, Talented Mr. Rip. I, I loved either. I loved the party, so I have to go and um I have to go and read that. What it really reminds me of is Edward St. Auburn's books, the Patrick Melrose novels, because it's a really lacerating look at um it's probably the upper middle class, isn't it? Rather than yeah. the upper class. Did you intend to pull no punches when it comes to the peccadillos and the sort of somewhat inane and awful nuances of being in that particular echelon of middle class. Definitely. First of all, you can't see my face, but basically I'm fainting with pleasure (laughs) at being compared to Edward St. Auburn, who I think is the most incredible pro stylist. Um, Yeah, I'm really interested in class because I think when we aspire to something that we don't belong to, it shows us at our most vulnerable. And Mm. for me, that's what the British class system is all about. It's all about aspiration and the very innate human desire to belong and I think any of us can relate to that from not being picked for a sports team when you're at school to not being invited to the glamorous party that you want to be part of Um, and I hadn't realised actually until I sat down to write the party how many of these kind of events I'd been to as an observer so because I'm a journalist in my day job and I started off as a newspaper diarist on the Evening Standard where it was literally my job to go out every night to parties where I didn't know anyone and I had to bowl up to celebrities I'd only read about in Heat magazine and ask them all sorts of embarrassing questions. And so I was forced into the position of observing how people are at those sort of events and I always think the most interesting guests are the ones who don't quite belong, who are the wallflowers, who are slightly on the periphery of the real action because I think at a party what you see is 
the person someone wants to be and the person they actually are. You see the gap between the two and the drunker you get, (laughs) the, the narrower that gap becomes. So it's fascinating from a kind of novelist's perspective. What would you say, having observed that kind of echelon of the middle class, what would you say you've noticed as being specific characteristics yeah. that they hold? Well, I think um, the milieu that I the, that I look at in the party, so Ben Fitzmaurice, um, who is the person Martin fixates on, is from the aristocracy. And Ben is one of those types who has been to public school and sailed into Oxbridge and who's never really had to question anything about his own sense of entitlement. And I think that's really interesting because... Looking back now to David Cameron's government, I feel that there were quite a few politicians who exemplified that sort of mindset. Mm. And my concern with that is you don't really connect on an empathetic or even on a pragmatic level to people who have quote unquote ordinary lives. That was something that really interested me. And what I noticed from observing that sector of society was that the entitlement at its worst can lead to a sense of arrogance. And arrogance can lead to people acting in sort of unpleasant ways because you're callous about the people around you and you're callous about the people who care about you. And I also think what you were talking about earlier, Pandora, that the kind of upper middle class aspiration quality of it. It's so interesting that there's still part of us that wants to be like that. There's part of us that just wants to know how to behave. And so as callous as it can occasionally be, there's also like a tiny little flicker within many of us that's like, yeah, but I want to be glamorous and I want to be part of an elite and I want to be part of the ruling class. I think that notion of privilege is really interesting. It's something that Dolly and I talk about quite a lot because as, you know, two girls who sound posh we get a lot a lot of the reviews about the podcast where you know they acknowledge their privilege they're aware of their privilege and it becomes this thing that I feel like it's interesting that you say that some people aspire to having that and then other people feel quite ashamed of having that you know neither of us are ashamed of our backgrounds um but it's that thing where you feel like it becomes synonymous with a, with a lack of empathy. I know that for myself, I often end up not ever writing about my background or the fact that I went to boarding mm. school because I know instantly, probably due to the proliferation of Etonians in the government, historically at all times, that you will be seen a certain way. So I think it's interesting that it's something to aspire to, but it becomes almost quite a dirty thing as well yeah. that you have to navigate. I totally agree. And I think we have so many contradictory attitudes about class that we don't really know who we are so we can only categorize ourselves through differentiation so it's almost like in comparison to an other that's how we sort of identify ourselves um but it, it is that's a really interesting point and I wrote a piece recently for the times about how I've always sounded posher than yeah, I actually I am. <laughs> Thank you. And obviously I'm incredibly privileged because, first of all, I, I'm white and I own a laptop. So that puts me into the top 1% of the global population. Um, and I did go to boarding school, um, and I but I went to boarding school because I got a scholarship there because actually my parents moved to Northern Ireland. I've always spoken with a very English accent, so I ended up having a not very good time at school there. So there was a set of circumstances that ended up with me being sent to boarding school. And the interesting thing about that was that although I'd grown up in Northern Ireland and that was to all intents and purposes my home, I never fitted in because I spoke like this. As soon as I went to boarding school, even though I didn't come from the same background as everyone else, I seamlessly fitted in because people just assumed from the sound of my voice Mm. that I was quote unquote one of them. It's amazing what can be taken by a voice. You were talking there, Pandora, about 
the need to check your privilege and being a bit embarrassed about it is testament to the fact that you are aware of other people and you do have a quality of empathy that some of the characters in the party don't possess. Mm. Um, and I think that's... I always remember a few years ago at a dinner party and I was happened to be sitting next to a guy who was one of David Cameron's education advisors. And it was at the time that they were discussing or they just ch- they just decided to ditch the educational maintenance allowance, which allowed lots of people from less privileged backgrounds to go to university. And this guy actually said to me, we were so surprised there was an outcry because no one we knew had used the EMA. And I was like, well, that's obviously is the no issue. one you know is using <laughs> it. It's fucking This bizarre. is what we were talking about the other day on the podcast. I'm in a bit of a Diana Athill phase. And I was, I was reading this thing that she says about kind of the original checking of one's privilege. I don't know when she wrote it in the 60s, I think. It's instead of a letter. And she says, basically, not being aware of your privilege is having a lack of empathy and having a lack of imagination. Yeah. So it's going, oh, well, people I know don't need that. So surely no one needs that. Totally And agree. actually, all empathy is, is just stretching your imagination a bit. To read this book, obviously, through the eyes of Martin... Ben, his family, the people who surround them, none of them come off well. Did you think at any point, oh, I wonder if people will think that this is a a bashing or was it very deliberately a bashing of that? No, I never set out to bash, actually. Um, So there's a split narrative in this book. Um, Part of it is narrated by Martin and the other part is narrated by his wife, Lucy. Uh, That's really riveting, I think, as well, because she's so removed from the whole... She doesn't aspire to be. Yes, Lucy what he does totally. Like Lucy is one of my favourite characters in that she is, as you say, removed from it and has very telling insights into what is actually happening. But Martin is so fixated on wealth and privilege and being one of them and being Ben's best friend that when he's talking about it, he observes everything with admiration, but at edge of bitterness. And that was really the tone that I wanted to get across for Martin's voice. Then automatically it became Martin kind of hating what he was loving at the same time. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Because I think Martin is someone, he loves the things and the people that he can put on pedestals. And as soon as they're off that pedestal or as soon as he gains admission somewhere, he doesn't rate it as highly. What was it like writing a male voice? That's what I was going to say. I want to know what it was like describing a, sorry if I give anything away here, a man giving a (laughs) blowjob. I was like, that's very specific. (laughs) Um... It was so much fun. Was it? Partly because it's incredibly liberating because you're no longer in your own head as a woman. Mm. And I don't want to generalise horribly about sort of sociological gender constructs, but um, writing the particular voice of Martin, there were certain things that he questions about himself, but he doesn't question his place in the world. As a man, Mm. you inherit the earth. Mm. You just still do. And so there's something really refreshing about that as as a woman. And not having to dwell on that or explain that or explore that just must have freed up so much space for prose. (laughs) Yes, it was just, it was tremendous fun, actually. And (laughs) writing the blowjob scene. So I described the experience from Martin's view of someone giving him head. And... um, I, weirdly, it came quite easily. <laughs> I just Because ultimately, I suppose it's a bit of a cliche to say I write people rather than I write men or women. But ultimately, I feel that the experience of sexual climax is 
possibly, although it's experienced um, physically in different ways, is probably kind of mentally a similar thing. Um, but I was quite nervous about giving it to a man to read because my agent and my editor are both women. And obviously I'm writing about things that only men will ever experience, like going to a boys' boarding school and having an erection. <laughs> and... Um, and then I gave it to a couple of men to read. Um, I gave it to my boyfriend who he went to a boys boarding school and he was very complimentary. I was like, you've totally described my first day at school. And um, and then I gave it to a friend of mine who was like, how did you know that that's what a blowjob feels like? So <laughs> I feel like I should put that on the back of the book. As you a should. <laughs> I'd have bought it anyway, but I'd buy it even quicker. Um, I've read one of your other books, Scissors, Paper, Stone, yeah. um, which I loved. And I've got two others to read. I got them all off Amazon. But I, f- I have a hunch that this one is your most spectacular. Thank you. That I, I feel, I mean, hopefully I'm getting better as I go along. Uh, but I do feel... I'm really proud of this one because it came from a place of untrammeled honesty. Um, the last two, well, the first two years when I was writing that book was actually just a really difficult time in my own personal life. And um, writing The Party was it was like saving myself. Um, and, and so I feel really proud of it and I really want people to read it. And mm. I love writing books. It's all I've ever wanted to do. And your support means so much to me. And incidentally, your Goodreads account, I found it no problem. <laughs> Did you? First time, first time. <laughs> What's going on there? Have you updated your shelf, Dolly? No, I will. It's still got all the books you were reading three months ago. You some, I can't do yours. I can only do mine. Have you put um, the party on our shelf? Yes. Yeah, I think so. so. Oh yes, it's yeah, very much so. on that. <laughs> published by HarperCollins? Yes, it's Fourth Estate, but which is part of HarperCollins. Fourth, fourth don't know why Estate, I said that. <laughs> and it is out, I don't know when you're listening to this, but it is out on Thursday the 13th of July and you may well be listening to this whilst Elizabeth is drunk, celebrating, <laughs> hopefully, birthing it. And um, it comes highly recommended comes from highly the Hilo. Yes, by, oh, you know how there's like a Richard and Judy sticker? Do you think we can get a Dolly <gasps> the Hilo book one? club? Yes. Now that's an idea. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming in, Elizabeth, and talking about your marvellous book. And you're going to stay to chew over the big hitter news stories <laughs> of the week with I cannot us. wait. The Hilo is thrilled to be working with Urban Massage. Urban Massage is all about wellness at home with their at-home massage delivery service. Book a massage via the website or app. You can choose the time, place, treatment and even the therapist that best suits you. The therapist can then be at your door in as little as under an hour, ready with a massage table and oils. All you need is a towel. All therapists are highly qualified and insured, so you can expect nothing less than a first-class experience. Urban Massage is offering you a discount. Until the end of August, you can get £10 off with the code HILO, H-I-G-H-L-O-W, valid in London, Manchester and Birmingham. Please note that Urban Massage is not currently available in other cities. I love getting massages at home. It's something I've done before when my husband comes home when it's all sort of zen and low light and is all sort of, uh, hello, thinking he's entered a seance or something really saucy. Um, And I've also heard that Urban Massage do massages in the office, so you can get a masseuse to your office for a quick lunch break chair massage. Can you imagine how jealous your colleagues would be? My cat is my only colleague, and I think she'd be hissing with jealousy. So um, go download the Urban Massage app and book yourself a discounted massage now until the end of August. 
After years of never quite finding his place in the spotlight, Rob Kardashian has blown up the internet for posting explicit pictures of his ex-fiancée, Black China, via Instagram. The brother of 500,000 different reality stars, Rob, who has a daughter, Dream, with Black China, shared pictures of her in bed with other men and one of her naked vagina after he found out she had cheated on him, he alleges, with eight different men. Elizabeth's got the giggles like a schoolgirl. Was it the word naked Vagina. Vagina. Was yes, it naked sorry. vagina? I the thing is, is, there's not really another like podcast appropriate. I'm not going to be like snatch. <laughs> also, but can a vagina not be naked? You it's can a, have a sheet vagina. Point. Okay, I'm sorry. Carry on. <laughs> anyway, Instagram shut down his account, and as of Monday, China has a restraining order against him. They are currently sharing custody of eight-month-old Dream. Dream is very much the sort of name that you'd find in the. Dolly Alderton wish lists of baby names. Um, so the plot thickens because footage has since emerged of China strangling Rob with a phone cord. She tweeted, Rob, you did all this, but you beat me up and try to Just act. read it as it is, Dolly. Oh dear. Rob, you did all this, but you beat me up and try act, it never happen. You put hand on me, I swear on God. <laughs> On my kids, but I'm supposed to be quiet because you're a Kardashian, she tweeted. That line is so potent. Talk about privilege. I'm supposed to be quiet because you're a Kardashian. I love that thing she's saying as well that's so badass in the press where she's like, I don't need the Kardashians. I was black China before the Kardashians. (laughs) Well, Rob alleges that China took drugs and then lists all the £100,000 gifts he bought her with money that I have no idea came from where because he doesn't work. Um, But it's a really nasty example of a social media meltdown and predictably the rest of of the roaring Kardashian-Jenner PR machine has stayed entirely silent. Elizabeth, what do you make of all this? Oh, it's just so fascinating. I am very much team Black China on this because it was kind of ugly. I mean, obviously I followed it on social media. Obviously I followed Rob Kardashian's meltdown. Did you? I missed meltdown. it unfolding I on Instagram. Well. Yeah, it was... Uh, it, so... First of all, the grammar was appalling. <laughs> um, secondly... Whatever the circumstances, I don't think it's acceptable to publicly post intimate images of your ex that she has sent to you for whatever reason. I don't care what her reasons were. That is revenge porn at its worst. And the fact that he is a Kardashian and that he has this enormous machine behind him, it just leaves a really, really bad taste in my mouth. And... The whole thing has been fascinating because obviously Black China came on the scene because she was Tiger's ex and Tiger yes. is now dating Do you know about Kylie this, Jenner. I can't yes. believe it blows my mind. Yeah, yeah, but Rob's saying, you know, I and I think there's probably, I imagine, some truth in this. He goes, I really wanted us to be a family, but now I know that you just wanted but, to revenge on... Have you been, have you guys been watching the latest season of the Kardashians? Because Rob Kardashian no, is a very strange it. fish. Is he? He's yeah. always struggled to find his... Um, place though there's been like numerous previous social media meltdowns he shared his little sister Kylie's phone number on Twitter once and they got deleted but obviously not before everyone had you know taken record of it and he tweeted a picture back in 2015 of Rosamund Pike's character from Gone Girl covered in blood with the caption this is my sister Kim the bitch from Gone Girl like so he does these completely (laughs) um random sort of moments of going totally berserk on social media and it's obviously really clear that he's unhinged and unhappy and damaged and all of the above but revenge porn's actually illegal in California and Mm. um, Black China's lawyer Lisa Bloom has said that they will be you know taking him to court over this and you can get a jail sentence as you should revenge porn as well yeah I think you know there are a number of women 
that I know who now will still talk to me about how they know their ex-boyfriends have intimate photos of them and how it hangs over them, like a sort of loosened noose. And I think it's slut-shaming at its worst. And I think a woman being sexually liberated still comes with such a high price of threat and shame it's horrible. Definitely. There was one of the there was a comment on one of the Instagram posts when Rob started posting all these images of Black China and the comment was you got together with a stripper, what did you expect? And I was like, that in a nutshell is everything that's wrong with mm. that meltdown. Mm. I don't care who Black China is, what she chooses to do. No. If she chooses to use her body in a certain way, that is completely her affair. Yeah. And I, I don't want to be married to her, I don't want to have a kid with her, but for Rob to do that, and he's also in a position of public power, is just really distasteful. It's also very strange when you think that he's come from a family of women and a family of quite sexually liberated women as well. Yeah. Which makes it even stranger, I think. There's been loads of naked pictures of Kim, hasn't there? And um, as we were discussing earlier, Dolly, that, you know, Kim came to fame through a sex tape with Ray J, let us not forget. Well, that's what I mean. If that has happened to your sister and you've seen her go through that. I actually don't think there was any kind of mental process whatsoever. No, I think think he was cuckolded and I think, and I feel sorry for him in that sense. I think he had his heart broken and he's definitely always been a slightly strange fish from what we can see from his outbursts on social media before. And I don't think he thought for a second that what he was doing was misogynistic or that yeah. he just that that thought process which is why social media is very dangerous and it's why you should be very careful about who you send bare vagina pictures to <laughs> it's <laughs> just it's just so lazy isn't it because it's like it's the worst thing it's like the trump card that a man can shout at you trump as a woman nice. yeah, trump card Lit- quite nice. literally yeah. that you know you can say you can talk back to a man catcalling you and then he'll shout that you're a slut and then that's that. You know, it can't get any worse. And women don't have that arsenal either. What can we say that's as shaming to men? We can't. It's so lazy. It makes me yeah. so angry. I, I interviewed uh, Clang, I'm about to name drop, uh, Kristen Stewart recently. And Ooh. she was amazing, by the way. Um, but she was talking about the word bitch and how she hates the word bitch because there's no male equivalent. Mm. She's like, I've told all my male friends not to use it now because there's nothing I can say back that has the same resonance. Yeah. Wanker? Oh no, Wank is too. Wank like, is kind of affectionate. It's almost PG Woodhouse Wank. <laughs> <laughs> Corinne Fisher, who co-hosts the Guys We Fucked podcast. Do you so not no, Carrie. I'm going to. So to not her. Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Pandora thought I said Carrie Fisher. Guys We Fucked is a brilliant anti-slut shaming podcast, and she tweeted saying the Kardashians are a great many things, but I never thought they were slut shamers, and I thought that was just very poignant. Well, you'll be unsurprised to hear that um, Chris is, according to Radar Online, Chris is going to use all of this for the upcoming season of Keeping Up With The Kardashians. Oh She's God. distraught about the drama, but at the same time excited because she knows that this will bring in lots of viewers. <laughs> Did you ever see that short clip of Chris Jenner talking about Kim's sex Yes, tape? you're... A- I can't say this word because we use it too much. You are very invested in in that. Go on, quote it. When Kim's sex tape came out, as her mother, I was very upset. But as her manager... As her momager. (laughs) What did you say? I was ecstatic or something like that. I can't remember. But it's just like, that just sums up the whole thing. And I think this is just the ecosystem in which that family work. It's just about constant privacy being exposed or used or as leverage. Can I just say, as a sidebar... Chris Jenner has gone through so much and I know she's put it all on camera but first of all her best friend was Nicole Brown who was murdered mm. by OJ Simpson mm. 
allegedly. Do I have to say that? Anyway, then got married to a guy who was dishonest about his gender identity to her and then decided transition and is now Caitlyn Jenner. Then had to deal with her daughter having a sex tape and turning that into obviously a multi-million pound fortune. But then also just recently, like Kim Kardashian being in that horrific armed robbery. Kanye's alleged mental breakdown. Rob Kardashian needing a life coach to get through every day. All of this stuff is like, wow, you've been through it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My favorite badly behaved royal, the Duchess of York has faced criticism this week for, rather bizarrely, hosting a tea party for David and Victoria Beckham's youngest child, Harper, for her sixth birthday. Harper's parents uploaded a photo of Harper enjoying her day at the Queen's residence alongside Princess Eugenie and some school friends. A representative from the Beckham camp has said that Fergie is a long-time friend of the family and she offered, allegedly claiming that Prince Andrew will pick up the bill. Harper, of course, dressed up like a princess... Cinderella by the looks of photos. I think it's quite a natural alignment because the Beckhams are practically royalty. So it's sort of a natural <laughs> conflation. And I think they predicted it with those purple thrones at their wedding. Do you remember oh, yeah. from, from years ago? What do you think, Elizabeth? Do you particularly enjoy, like me, that Prince Andrew will pick up the bill? <laughs> yes, as he has done all of Fergie's life. <laughs> um, again, clang, I once interviewed Prince Andrew. And oh, interesting. I did not warm to him. Really? really? Actually, what we were talking about earlier about that sense of entitlement, I remember asking him, do you ever think about what your life would be like if you weren't a member of the royal family? Which I would have thought a normal sentient being would think sometimes. He was like, no, this has only ever been my life. I've never thought about anything else. And I was like, oh, that's... What did you interview him for? Um, oh. Can you not, <laughs> are you allowed to say it? No, I can't remember. Oh. Was it something about, like, trade? He used to be a trade envoy. I was trying to... Was like, I was like, when, when would there have been a news hook for Prince Andrew. Andrew. The the thing that I most remember about the interview was that it was in Buckingham Palace and um, he had an office there and I walked along the corridor and just outside his office there was a chair with a massive teddy bear on it. (laughs) So obviously I asked him about the teddy bear and he said the Duchess of York had given it to him on their wedding day. Love her That is the most posh thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Yes, no, that's, she's not, she's not posh in her behaviour is she she's too there's sort of a bit of the Geordie Shaw reality TV about about Fergie yeah is that why you love her so much Dolly probably I have an idea for a coffee table book that's like the naughty royal women and it would be like Anne Boleyn and Fergie that's all I've got so far I love that idea (laughs) well let's Princess Margaret (laughs) Princess Margaret indeed there you go that can be book number five (laughs) she's always been really nutty though do you remember in 1992 when there was the toe sucking scandal I remember that so well by her former um yeah former financial advisor 
John Bryan. And then when all this Ferrari came up, apparently they were both very keen to correct everyone and say that actually he was licking her instep. He wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't sucking her day, he was, he was licking her instep. And then, of course, there was all the fake shake stuff as well, which was actually more... I agonised for her during that, when that came out. I'm sorry, I love the fake million. shake. I loved it. When she, her with waving that fag around, slurring, being like, for half a million, you get the lot. <laughs> you make it. her sound quite Russian. <laughs> <laughs> That's my drunk Fergie. She did this interview, though, with Oprah in 2011, where she is very fallible, and I, I think that's mm. why you love her, Dolly, because you... Heart on you, sleeve. You, she's a survivor. Heart on sleeve. Um, <laughs> where she says to Oprah, I felt that I ostracised myself by my behaviour, by the past, by living with all the regrets of my mistakes. I sort of wore a hair shirt and beat myself up most of the day, thinking, why did I make such a mistake? But then she does come out with things where I really... I don't sympathise so much, where she said someone asked her if she felt sad about not being invited to the royal wedding of, you know, um, William and uh, Kate. And she said that she felt like Diana in that moment because neither of them were there. And I thought... Well, he's, she's William's mother and she died in a car crash. I, don't, I just don't I think, think that's, that's seemly to compare I think that's the woman yourself. she is. I think she's the woman the at woman a party. Yes, I identify with. I think she's a woman at a party. I identify with. Putting her foot in it, blabbering on to an unwilling audience. Putting her foot, wanting and, it to be sucked. <laughs> want it, and wanting to belong. Like yes, exactly. But I do think she had such a tough time at the beginning because she was constantly compared to Princess Diana and... Mm. I just remember the tabloids at that time being so mean about her appearance mm. and being like, oh, and she's nowhere near as beautiful or as thin as Princess Diana. I happen Diana. to think she's a really gorgeous woman, actually. Do you think at Harper Beckham's birthday party, yeah, who, was, the <laughs> who was more excited about the other? Like, were the Beckhams more excited about being at Buckingham Palace and being with the I think they're really ob- the I think they're around? like devout royalists. They've I think got they're the plates. Obsessed. They've got the plates. Yes. <laughs> I think they're really obsessed with like British institutions because do you remember in that David Beckham way of everyone glossing over everything bad Golden Balls has ever done? Do you remember when those emails were leaked about he yes. just, how he was like basically like give me a fucking OBE what do I how many more how many more charity how many no he literally says how many more he used the C word yeah he used the C word he's like how many more of these charity things do I have to go to until they give me one they've given like Catherine Jenkins something for blah 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 yeah who did he call the C word Catherine Jenkins no no like the the system no, was like oh, those stupid the stupid C words. Yeah, he was not he was, giving me a he nightmare. He was very angry about it. In, the, in in that miraculous David Beckham way, it was literally like gloss, fish and oh chip my God. paper Pandora, within a week. This is like a specialist subject of mine. I <laughs> cannot bear how he gets away with it because he'd just been on Desert Famous Island Discs, men. which I know Dolly will have listened to several times over. Yeah, we both quite liked and that one. What, yeah. But everyone went on and on about how amazing it was and isn't he great? And I was like, he barely mentioned Victoria in that. You're barely. right. You're right. He mentioned her in a kind of function way like I'm really glad that we have our kids <laughs> yeah and, and just didn't pay any tribute to her and I just made that it it's very true and I do think the thing is is that we live in a society where parenting is still so much the job of the mother whenever a man says something like oh I sometimes put my daughter to bed it's like look at this superhero All father <laughs> yeah yeah it's and, a picture of David and yeah. Harper and people just die they yeah. spontaneously he does capitalize on that a touch I think and he did in the desert well, it's working dolly isn't it I found Brand it very Beckham. sweet I loved it but no that is an interesting thing ha- have you ever listened to a desert island discs dolly that you haven't liked I was just thinking that earlier actually I have actually. What's his name? Theatre guy. What's his name? <laughs> Theatre guy. He's got a kind of alien face. Nick Heintner? I feel bad. No, I don't think you have an alien face, Nick Heintner. So that's, right. that's one. one that's no one's adaptation at the National. <laughs> Wiped. Um, oh, I can't remember. Stephen Burkoff. Oh. 
Yeah. Is that the alien, alien faced, faced guy? Yes. Is he a boring man? Is he quite up himself? Would that be fair yeah, to say? Yeah, it was just very bristly. You know, when you, I'm sure you know very well, having interviewed so many people, when you're listening to an interview and they're just not catching each other. That's what we should do before we rack it up. Rack it up? Rack. Oh my God, we're not racking anything up. Black China. Well, before we wrap it up and you do your nice little quotation on from Dickie that you're rather into, Dickie oh, yeah. Arbiter. Who has been, because you do do a lot of celebrity interviews, dream gig, want your job. Who has been your favourite ever celebrity interview and your most loathsome? My favourite ever was Clint Eastwood. But this is before he went mad, Trump, Republican supporter. Yes, he is. Yeah. He was 78 at the time, uh, which is going back a few years. But he was such a charismatic, A-list presence. And I was given 20 minutes with him, which isn't very much. And I'd flown to New York to do it. And um, he was so amazing and engaged and funny and eloquent and teased me and that it overran by another 20 minutes so I ended up getting 40 and he just could not have been more charming or more handsome and he's one of the few that I've ever asked for an autograph because I was like really he is proper Hollywood legend so 90s of you I love that you asked (laughs) for an autograph (laughs) okay so that's I'm very (laughs) analogue I'm very not millennial (laughs) that's your most loved and then your most most loathed people are kind of upset when they hear this but it was Rob Lowe who was in the West Wing. Oh, the the like pretty boy. Yeah. yeah. He looks like a Ken doll. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He does. He looks like I actually wrote in the piece and then they got then they took this out. He looked like um you know those shrink wrapped packets of smoked mackerel. Where <laughs> he had that like tanned, slightly shiny plastic quality. Yes. Anyway. Um, Botox. Oh I'm sad. <laughs> yeah. They did the subs take that out. They took it out. I oh know. that's brilliant. Do you know what they took out? It's a tale of modern journalism. Basically the reason it was awful is because I'd flown to Toronto to do it. And he walked out after 14 minutes because I asked a question he didn't like about whether he found it hard to trust people. <laughs> and um, Just don't answer if you don't Exactly, like just say no. Just say no. I can't uh, I can't. I love talk. trusting I people. It's wonderful. Let's move on. Yeah. But also, it gives you so much more ammo for your copy yeah. with that reaction rather than him going, nope. Exactly. It says so much more exactly. about what he's denying. Producer Charlie is um, lobbying because our time is up. Dolly, why don't you just finish on your little Dickie Arbiter quote? So Dickie Arbiter, <laughs> who is the Queen's... What was she? Queen's former press secretary. Press secretary but has oh, to, Elizabeth knew immediately. <laughs> Ding day. <laughs> has to be, but also has to be with a name like Dickie. Dickie Arbiter. <laughs> so I just love this quote. The Queen's former press secretary was highly critical of the party and he told the Times, What a nonsense. What are they doing there? What is Eugenie having a party there for? What is Sarah York doing, having organised it, allegedly? None of them have got a right to be there. Is it being opened up as a theme park? It devalues what the place is all about. Why can't Joe Public, when they go in on the Buckingham Palace tour, why can't they have their pictures taken in the quadrangle? That sets a precedent. They don't allow cameras in the summer opening and people can't just walk in and out of the quadrangle and pose for photographs. So why do the Beckhams get special treatment? (laughs) The quadrangle and the summer opening. What is the quadrangle? But the summer opening, it sounds faintly sort of porny. The naked vagina. Have you found the summer opening at Buckingham Palace? Thank you so much to you, Elizabeth Day, for coming coming on the podcast. I've loved it so much. It makes me want to write a book every week so I can come back on. Please do. We'd love that. Um, Thank you so much to Wise Buddha Studios for letting us record here. You can tweet us at The Hilo Show and please do email us, thehiloshow at gmail.com. 
please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe. We are going to start begging now. We've got no iTunes. shame anymore. It helps us get higher up the charts, but it also helps other people find us. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.